Namo tassa vagyavatu varahatu samma sambutassa. Namo tassa vagyavatu varahatu samma sambutassa. Namo tassa vagyavatu varahatu samma sambutassa. Buddhang dhammang sangam namasami. Clearly in ourselves to want to get rid of what we don't like and want to get more of what we like. So constant constant kind of pulling and conflicting of desires. You know, I want to got I want more of the thing that I feel pleasant, comfortable and agreeable, and I want uh, less of its opposite. So um this is what we discover in our meditation practice and this is why our teachers, uh, my teacher, Achen Sumedu, emphasized from the very beginning, very clearly, uh, the approach to practice rather than methods and techniques. Method and techniques are not so difficult. It takes a little bit of discipline, though, not so difficult to um, uh, sort of develop and be quite successful in our methods and the techniques that we uh, use again and again, you know, with a, 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 some kind of discipline, we can become better at using a method and, uh, you know, and a technique. Uh, when we speak about approach in Buddhism, we talk about an approach of non-contention with ourselves. Remember that um, the mind is a forerunner of all our thoughts. They come from the mind and they are mind-made. So our world is, has its beginning in our own uh, ability to construct thoughts and feelings and moods and perception and memories and so on. This is the nature of the mind when it's not developed and it's not trained in a, in a, in a, in a, in a correct way, when our vision of things, our view is not correct, is not right, is still, um, we still see the world through the veil of our perception and our conception and our ideas and the past, and memories and so on. As long as we see the world through these uh, veils, then right view is not established. And so the approach that is needed in practice is not our usual ones. You know, I remember myself, I don't like something, get rid of it. I was an expert at that. I was, you know, uh, like a, a magician. You know exactly what to do when you want to get rid of things somehow. You can develop the skill of getting rid of things and become very good at it. Until you look at your heart, and this is a different story there. Because even though you can get rid of something for a certain time, and it may seem as if it has worked, like a person you don't like very much, or a perception about yourself you don't like, or perhaps uh, you know the fear of being sick, you don't like that, uh, the thought of not being loved, we don't like that, and how do we get rid of this? It's very easy, you just distract yourself. Or you suffer, <laughs> you know, and you get used to the suffering. It's interesting, yeah? So um, we are more used to that, you know, being expert at getting rid of things, eradicating things, dumping things. Yeah. You know that one, don't you? Don't like something, just dump it. It's so easy. What is not always um, known is that this uh, aspect of uh, getting rid of things is uh, driven by something which is not particularly skillful. You know, we don't get rid of things unless we don't, you know, we dislike them. So it's often accompanied with emotions, emotional charge, which is can be aversion, anger, frustration, impatience, you know. I mean, I've seen that. I want to get rid of my computer every time it sort of doesn't do what it's supposed to be to do, to be doing. It's very strong, isn't it? You can't get rid of your pets when it starts getting too old. 
you know, and then you feel very guilty. So, oh, no, no, I'm a Buddhist. I should really be, I should be mindful and let it go rather than getting rid of it. And so this um, aspect of um, wanting to get rid of things, wanting to abandon, you know, to kind of not see or hear things you don't like anymore, is very much bound together with the unskillfulness of uh, aversion. And it can be, you know, the whole range of aversion from anger, frustration, rage, um, everything you can think of and you have done through your life when you want to, you know, get rid of something. You can remember perhaps right now what happened to you when something wasn't working and you just lost patience and you blew up and you threw things across the room. Never happened? Or you wanted to throw things across the room but you just about refrain yourself out of politeness in case you ended up in prison. <laughs> if it was a knife or, 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 or plates and hit somebody or hit the wall or... You know, so it's, it's really important to get to know these tendencies. Because they are very rampant in us until we learn how to let go and make the di know the difference between the two. So you see, uh, I'll continue a little bit longer on this, I, you know, this whole um, experience of getting rid of things. As meditators, m many people who live here or pass some time here, take time here, you find that uh, when you know you hear. I mean, I've been teaching for many years, and you hear people telling me, you know, they want to get rid of their nasty thoughts and they want to get rid of their awful depression and they want to get rid of all their miserable views on things which they can't shake up, they're still sticking to them. They can't, you know, they want to get rid of, you know, hated John or Mary or Lucy or whoever, you know, and they, even though those people are not here anymore, they still stick. The, you know, old husband or wife or whatever, you know, still hanging around. And they come to me and say, oh, sister, you know, I'm just so fed up with all this. You know, I can't, how do I get rid of these things? And sometimes when they are on retreat, they just kind of color it a bit more kind of nicely and say, how can I let go of that, you know? <laughs> See, they know, they, they talk Buddhist, you know. So wrap it up in a kind of pink little paper, wrapping paper, you know. How can I let go of it? How can I let go of this, really? This, uh, I don't understand. Right. Yeah. Fed up with that. Had enough. Buddhism doesn't work. I've got to do something else. You know, so... And then you just want to get rid of not knowing how to do it. You don't know how to do it, maybe, and you haven't got maybe somebody to explain to you how to do it. Because letting go has a very different tone to it, and it's a completely different energetic um, experience. Getting rid of is like caused by maybe hatred, aversion, impatience, dislike, etc., etc., Caused by that, I want to get rid of it. You know, it's quite, in the worldly terms, it's quite intelligent, you know. You know, wanting to get rid of something that hurts, it's normal, isn't it? From the worldly point of view, see, what a clever person you are. Yes, it's not good. Get rid of it. But from a, a, a Dharma point of view, you know, getting rid of something like, you know, anything, I mean, maybe not anything, but Still, I like to stay within the context of Buddhist practice, experience, and meditation. Because this is a very specific context. It's not becoming something, becoming somebody. It's not trying to improve on your worldly material um, uh, standard. It's simply um, interested in enabling you to see what is delusion, to see what is non-delusion and to start walking the path so you'll get the skill and the means and the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, um, the, the faculty of 
doing it yourself at some point. You don't need anybody. You don't understand, you know, the ability to uh, let this process of letting go take place and then see the result of it and get confidence once you see the result. Once you see how, how it works, the result, then you get really confident. Now, maybe the result don't please, do not please you, so you might still continue to get rid of things. But that's your you know, problem, basically. You, that's what you want. It's your, you know, it's your choice. It's your life, after all. You do what you want. But So I like to always re-put uh, it back into the structure of Buddhist practice. Because the aim is particular, is a particular goal. Liberation from suffering, liberation from not knowing the truth. Now, um, when we um, learn how to meditate, the Buddha talks about the truth of suffering and the cause of the truth of suffering. Okay? The cause of the truth of suffering is something we let go. We don't, it doesn't use the word getting rid of. We let go or we abandon, we let it be and abandoned. And the difference is that uh, letting go is uh, always, uh, is rooted in understanding. To comprehend something is a first step for letting go. So, for example, if you are an angry type person, if you are an impatient person, if you are a greedy person, if you are confused in your mind and waiting always for something else to happen, restless, then how are you going to let go of those states of mind, of those emotional states of mind? How are you going to let them go? The normal, uh, what comes next is that, well, I'm going to find a means to let it, you know, to let it go, to get rid of it. Now, the words are not necessary to want to get rid of things. As soon as you're averse to any of these mental states, that's already wanting to get rid of it. It's uh, symptoms of wanting to get rid of things. When you have, when you detect in yourself the feeling of anger, hatred, impatience, irritation, rage, <laughs> that's already a, a sign that you want to get rid of it. Because if you were really patient with something, there wouldn't be any anger, would it? Would there, would there be any anger if you were really cultivating patience as a Buddha? encourages to do and calling patience the highest discipline, the highest austerities in terms of like tapas, you know, like in the in Indian language and in Sanskrit, the discipline and austerity that the mind um, goes through when you walk the path, spiritual path in the Indian tradition, you know. It's like highest level of disciplining the mind is start with patience. Patience is always connected in Buddhist teaching and countries which are Buddhist and have uh, a, a lot of uh, their psychology is, is rooted in Buddhist psychology. Uh, patience is always associated with wisdom. You don't have patience without wisdom in Buddhist countries, you know, usually. Well, for me, when I started doing my first retreat and I was, you know, 32, I think, and um, somebody asked me if I wanted to be a nun, and I said, no, not until I, maybe when I'm 70, you know, and nobody wants me anymore, and the world doesn't want me 70, mm, you know. The idea, and, and patience was just like uh, the quality of a granny, you know, they immediately conjured up an old ladies who just couldn't do anything else but be patient. So it wasn't like a grand quality and sort of the highest discipline in my life at the time, especially when I was a dancer and I was learning how to stretch in all directions, you know, body and in, you know, to make it really as physically able as possible. So the idea of being patient, like, oh, that's giving up on life altogether as far as I was concerned. So for me to talk to you about patience is really funny, you know, but I want to tell you something. 
is that to be mindful, the only thing that keeps you really mindful is patience. Because mindfulness, actually, the emotional quality of mindfulness, this is my discovery, you don't have to believe me, is patience. You have to be patient and kind to be able to be here and now with yourself, that quote-unquote, something we could call a rotten me or wonderful me or terrible me or whatever. You know, you have to be really um, patient to stay in that realm of the present moment and make peace with it, don't you? When I look at myself or when I looked at myself, now I'm quite, quite loving towards myself, I don't have that kind of problem particularly, I'm still impatient of course, but you know, it doesn't come, the present moment is something that I feel is my own, the only way personally, I only trust the present moment these days. But I did that even 30 years ago, but it takes a long time training to actually be there and feel confident that life can come through that moment, that's, that moment of non-grasping in the present moment. You know, it takes a long time to get, to develop the whole mind and body so it's transformed and it's kind of natural, it's a natural way of being. Because from the ego point of view, which is the one who is mainly impatient, there's nobody impatient except I, me, yeah, is, uh, you know, that, that um, the, the, the world is always seen as a kind of, you know, a, a very, uh, I like, I don't like, it's good and bad. You know, of course, we have developed the qualities through our uh, going to studying at university and reading a lot. And so we have developed a great range of sensibilities about these things. You know, we, we can discuss, you know, the different tone of anger and frustration, you know, the mild poetical ones and the more kind of gross type, you know, and we can make, turn all our emotion or horrible emotions into something quite poetical in many ways. And many poets have done that, you know. So let's go back to, um, you know, this letting go. When you sit down quietly, you see, um, you remember all the things maybe you've read about Buddhism and meditation, or maybe you have heard from teachers, you know, so it's not yours yet. So it's kind of still a memory kind of roaming around in your mind, okay? Even when you have confidence in yourself to practice and meditate, that memory can roam around for a long time. And then what happened is that, uh, you know, the Buddha says, the Buddhist teaching, all the Buddhist teacher will kind of make a list of all that is unskillful and skillful and tell you that being, um, you know, demanding and selfish and jealous and angry and mean and petty and all that, it's all bad. Unskillful. That's a list, you know. And then all that opposite is skillful, you know, kind, generous, loving, caring, patient, uh, and so on, skillful. Now, for Westerners, uh, we are, we are more, we have a lot more, we're not being brought up with Buddhism, so we also have developed a, a, a very complex kind of way of relating to these things, you know. You know, it's a whole psychology, modern psychology is, uh, gives us a much more complex pictures of ourselves, you know. Well, sometimes I am really mean, but you know, I don't mean it really. I'm really quite generous inside. But you know, that thing, I just couldn't give it to him or her. I couldn't, you know. But I really meant to give it. I, I just, at the last moment, I forgot myself. You know, we, we you know, so our teacher would say, we just, you know, you just, mean at that moment. No, 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 I, I really didn't mean to be so, you know, mean. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just not right moments. And she did that to me and he did that to me, you know, and that was definitely not the right moment. Now I can see now, I was right. <laughs> you know? So we have a very canny way of relating to ourselves, very clever. And, you know, the mind is a really, uh, 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 I, I, you know, I called it for a long time my, a sweet liar, but really sometimes I feel it's too nice a word for it. Now, it's just a straight liar <laughs> with no qualm, qualms. I just, because, the, the, you know, our sense of I, what we call me, I, 
is completely constructed on this, uh, on perceptions, on idea, on thoughts, on feelings, on mood, on my history, my past, my future, my this, etc., etc. It's covered. My our world is covered with this whole realm of thoughts and perception and ideas and so on. It's completely enwrapped in that. And that's all we know. For a long time, that's all we know. We don't know anything else. So meditation, you start dissecting a little bit all this by doing what? By noticing in your practice your thoughts, your feeling, your mental construct, your perception, your um, consciousness, you know, the various doors, sense doors, and so on. You start looking at it like a scientist under the microscope. You start looking at yourself in a way that normally we don't study at school much, do we? We do she's a type A, type B. She's, when you study the Enneagram, you're number seven or eight or six or whatever. Psychology, an anger type. Even the Buddha has different characters. Angry type, faith type, greedy type, confused type, <laughs> discursive type. It's the more confused usually. Think, think, think all the time. And um, so, when we, when you meditate, these ten, you are encouraged to just be a simple, unentangled witness. You know, you're not going out there and sorting, sorting it out, pushing it out, uh, grabbing one thing, throwing it something else. You're here to look at things just like a completely disengaged, you know, witness. You are studying your mind, and to study the mind, you are really, uh, you need to have a very quiet presence. It's like if you study anything, don't you stop and look very, very carefully? It's not a very foreign experience, is it? Is it? When you want to look whether your pastas have been cooked well enough, don't you look very carefully? Especially if you're in Italy. You don't want them too hard or too soft, do you? Or if you look at something you're going to buy, don't you look at it? Look how many times you ladies have you looked at your handbag before you're going to buy your new one? What kind of thread is kind of putting things together? What, how many pockets? You know, you study it in great depth, don't you? Red, is it going to match the red of my shoes or not? Is it going to, is it, you know, is it going to be rainproof or not? Or waterproof? Or is it going to be fashionable enough? You know, there's a lot of investigation going around most of our life. We don't notice it, that, that this is happening already except the objects are not particularly liberating. They may be fun, but not liberating. So when you look at the mind, this is when the Buddha becomes important. He says, when you look at the mind, you get a very great benefit out of that. Your mind gets, can get free from illusion, avijja, ignorance. You don't necessarily become somebody free from greed, hatred, and illusion, who is completely unselfish, kind forever, compassionate, and so on. You don't. You just continue to look at them for several decades, usually, just in case you were impatient about getting rid of any of this. That's what I do to the novices. I say, say oh, I've got a little problem, you know, with this. I don't know what to do. I say, don't worry, just give yourself 10 years to look at it. Yeah. And that's how it works. I mean, don't think you're going to get rid of your anger tomorrow, you know. It doesn't, you know, even if you think you got rid of it by just drinking and smoking and uh, obliterating yourself, no, you need to really know the cause, its presence when it's there, and its absence, disappearance, when it's gone. That's called letting go. Letting go takes place when the sense of I is not active. Okay? When the sense of I is not here, then you allow life to go. And you think, you know, we talk about letting go, but actually, the Buddha, in, in, you know, in our meditation, you look at the three characteristics of existence. The Buddha says all phenomena in this universe have three characteristics. They are impermanent, they are unsatisfactory, 
and they are not you, not self. They're not something you can control. They don't belong to you. They are not what you are or who you are. Do you understand that? So, when we look at uh, our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, our mind, uh, you know, we find that that everything is in a constant flow. Everything is continuously moving on. And the Buddhist teachings is asking us to pay great attention to this particular characteristic of change, impermanence. All things are transitory. They come and they go. They have a cause for them to arise and their nature is to go unless you start getting hold of them and getting interested in them or wanting to get rid of them. Then they, ha- they, they stay. How many times we find ourselves stuck with something because we haven't learned how to let it go? The fact that you want to get rid of it will make them stay. It's the same desire that acts as a clinging and grasping. It clings to things, whether you want it or don't want it. It's a clinging um, experience. So when we let go, we talk about a completely different reality. It's like at some point you have to pull back and look. And it's a learning. Don't imagine it, you know, you get skilled at it instantly. No. It's a very great, uh, you know, work of patience, of being able to withstand the power of avijja or delusion in oneself while it's passing through your mind. And the mind is not in the brain, is not in the heart, is not anywhere that my teacher has said, found. You know, he only said one day, which I find was a very powerful statement, which has helped me ever since, maybe it will help you, is that the, the, the mind is not in the body, is the body is in the mind, and he left it with that. You don't need to believe any of it, stop. Sort of letting your mind chew that particular statement, you know. The mind is not in the, in the you know, the, the, bo- the mind is not in the body, but the body is in the mind. So what is a mind? That may shift your perception of what the mind is. You think the mind is here, thinking is a mind. Huh? Right? Right, so just find that. I find a, a new word, actually, with a chitta in Pali, means chitta, means Chitta used to say, it's everything that happened to you in one moment. You know, it's not just the thoughts, it's just everything. The whole reality of now, in moment by moment. Okay? And really, the chitta is, is, a, is a world you carry with you. You know, at each moment there is, a, there is a space which is touched by one thing or another, but it's like your whole experience from the, in, in each moment. So it's a vast experience, a vast um, domain, you know, and it includes all the senses, all the thoughts, all the feeling, all the mood, all the, all the, uh, you know, the perception, the memories, and so on. It includes everything. You know, the mind is not in the body; the body is in the mind. Okay. And um, so, the first thing you begin to see when you meditate is that. It's very difficult not to cling to something. You know, people think that a meditation is going wrong when they feel stuck with something. I keep remembering that old pizza that I ate 10 years ago. What happened on that day? Tell me. <laughs> what is so important? <laughs> Must be more than the pizza. <laughs> I was just, I just dreamed, you know, imagining this. Nobody concerned here. You know. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I keep clinging to something that I hate. It keeps coming back again and again. Well, like somebody said many, many years ago, I remember somebody said, um, you know, that um, things come back to you as long as there's fuel for them to come back. Do you know what I mean? As long as there are causes for them to come back, they will come back. It's not in your control at all, you know. You might not even be fueling them consciously, 
But a lot of things happen in ourselves, not consciously, remember that, you know. A lot of things happen without us thinking we're doing anything. You know, one day I was kind of practicing metta as a young nun, you know, long time ago. And I was doing my mantra, may I be well, may I be at peace, may all being be well, may all being at peace, you know, like in the morning, before breakfast, one is not always in the best mood, but so in the darkish room, not particularly nice, the chitters, you know, and I kind of going like, I was mopping the floor. And suddenly, one nun turned to me saying, are you trying to corner me? Zut alors, as we say in French. <laughs> oh, ek, you know. I thought I was practicing metta. With such a kind heart, you know, with such a kind intention. So, you know, we still have a small vision, do you understand? If I had really large vision, I would have said, maybe it's not the right time to mop this floor. Maybe somebody's busy there. Maybe I can stay a little bit away, but my diligence made that I would going to mop right to their feet, you see. <laughs> not to miss anything, as little as possible. So they felt obviously overwhelmed by this kind of uh, pushy nuns that are just trying to kind of crush her in the corner. Well, from my perspective, it was very different. I was trying to clean as much as I could with a mantra of loving kindness in my heart. You know, spreading love and compassion to the whole world. And there I was, somebody kind of, sort of, had a go at me, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening in our world that we can't see, we don't know, because we're basically a bit blind, you know, as well. The more you learn about your mind, the the more you learn about yourself, the more you know yourself, you don't have any doubt where things happen. You know, say, oh, oops, I forgot myself, I should have been more careful. I should have a, a more a, a better speech. I should have, been, you know, I could have been more sensitive. So you think I should, I should, I should, but you didn't, you know. So what's the point? You don't need to say I should, I should. But the thing with meditation is that you don't say necessarily I should. You remember maybe next time I'll be a little bit more wise, I'll be more compassionate, a little bit more, you know, going beyond my world, you know. It's very easy, especially in the monastery. People, you know, the mind, the mind can get very focused on things. I, I know from my experience and people or other people's experience, you know, get very focused. You know, you go like a little soldier. You go do, do your things, you know, and then you're mindful. Of, you know, on top of that, you're mindful. And mindfulness can be easily like a complete set. Don't bother me. I'm just mindful. <laughs> you know, or sometimes you get it with, don't bother me. I'm practicing metta. You know, but that's that's a stage that I've been through myself. I've seen other being through, and I don't mind anymore. It's like right, that's just what they're going through right now, and uh, everybody has to go through at some point through that. You know, looking really miserable, being mindful. In fact, one nun used to say to me, you know, when I'm relaxed and completely at ease with myself, people think actually I'm depressed. They come to me, are you depressed? No, no, I'm very peaceful and relaxed. So. When you're mindful, sometimes people look very serious. You know, you come to Amaravati, everybody's mindful. But don't worry, plenty of life goes on behind the mindfulness, you know. Life doesn't stop with mindfulness. <laughs> In the contrary, it kind of surge, you know, it comes up. When you go on retreat for a few days, a few weeks, you know, that's really when Mara has a real kind of dance with you. And it really brings all its... Um, you know, all its weapon arms and armies and so on to test you, you know. So when you meditate and you can apply this in your daily life with your ordinary life, if you want to experiment with that, when you meditate in sitting meditation or walking or standing or lying down, you know, you notice, you begin to notice not so much when you let go because you won't even know you're letting go because you're not there usually. <laughs> it happened without you basically. <laughs> so, how did I let go? Don't know what happened. Well, did you feel more peaceful now? Yes. Well, maybe you have let go, maybe you haven't. I don't know, but you know. So, but letting go usually is the ending of something and there is peace. We are 
we are encouraged to visit that moment, which we usually forget, the moment of letting go. We get interested in everything that bothers us, all the things that makes us want to get really proactive with things and so on, that creates a sense of I, in other words. But when the experience of not being entangled with I is totally disinteresting, there's no kind of nerve to it. You know, it's like peacefulness. Who wants peace? Tell me in this room. Anybody wants peace? Just for two seconds, don't you? Two, three, four seconds, you know. And then we all drag ourselves towards Buddhist teaching, you know, to really interest us with glittering eyes, you know. But actually, who wants any peace? Maybe when you feel miserable for a little while, you want a bit of peace and you go to the church or the monastery or... But really, the deep peace of non-delusion, anybody wants that? Because that takes a, you know, a big step, doesn't it? To live in, in committed to non-delusion, which means it's, uh, you know, touching on everything in ourselves. Every cells in ourselves are, are touched by this commitment to non-delusion, you know. As soon as you start saying you're going to do a little lie, <laughs> your whole body is talking, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not happy because of that commitment to truth, that commitment to not lying. You immediately notice when you're going to say a little lie. Well, before, if you're not committed, you do big lies, small lies, who cares, you know, nobody's around, nobody sees me. Even yourself, you say, oh, nobody, you know, you fo- I, no, I haven't seen that, you know. Me? Me did lie? Oh, no, it wasn't me, it's not me. No, it must be somebody else behind me, you know. So, um, you know, so so... The, the letting go is what happens when you don't cling to something, when you don't attach to any something. You know. So yesterday somebody was asking me this question, but we need suffering, don't we, in the world? The question was sort of shaped in, roughly in that form. Because if we don't suffer, we don't do anything. Look at the progress that has taken place in this world through the fact that people are dissatisfied. You know. Who do we have the M25 with people that hadn't been dissatisfied? And look, is that satisfying, the M25? <laughs> it's getting four lanes, two lanes, three lanes, four lanes, five lanes, still unsatisfactory, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Just to, but you can apply this to many things, can't you? Of course, you know, from the medical point of view, we have done a certain amount of progress, you know, but so this idea of having to suffer to make things happen is really strange. Although, this is, there's some, a great truth in that, and the Buddha said there's suffering, which is exactly what many of us have already seen even before meeting Buddhism, you know, there's a suffering that basically leads you to more suffering. We know that one, don't we? Suffering. I suffer, I'm just going to drink myself. I suffer, I'm just going to dope myself. I suffer, I'm just going to do something really silly that I will regret all my life. Probably. Probably. Not sure, but, you know, we do think that, uh, you know, that's going to harm us in the long run. And there's also another kind of suffering, which is all about what the Buddhist teaching is about, is the suffering that leads you to search to the end of suffering. But that kind of suffering is a very special kind, in the sense that it's like coming to a place where you really have gone, you know, disenchanted with suffering. There's a part of us that very, very, you know, identified with my suffering self. If I suffer, then I'm somebody. Do you understand? If things go wrong, I'm somebody. We are really attached to be, uh, you know, in suffering, I mean, in a broad sense, you know. My life is unsatisfactory, then somebody exists there. If I'm just content, and I tell you, just be content with your life, be at peace with your life, you notice the ego just kind of go into depression, doesn't it? It's depressed, it's like, I have nothing to do. What do I do if I'm just content with myself? got to have something to work on, otherwise I get depressed or miserable or I feel I don't exist. I don't exist for myself or I don't exist for others if I don't have a problem. 
this week, just check. I'm not saying that you should believe what I say, but just double check. How much the activities of our mind that we cling to is to, is to support that sense of self-identity that the Buddha asks us to actually challenge and look at. Am I really my thoughts? Am I really my mind? Am I really my body? Am I really what I think? Am I really my projections? Is my projection really me? And we can see that it's a big, it's a big sort of step, but most of projection have already gone somebody to somebody else. I've already landed on somebody else before we knew it, you know. We are angry, and we see through the veil of anger, and other people are angry, so we get more angry, because we see them as angry. When we have the veil of anger, it's very easy to see other people, you know. I mean, the sweet one that we have in our lives, you know, we don't see them as angry. A whole bunch of people, I'm sure, that we never really think they would ever be angry, although they may be sitting on a mountain of anger themselves and look sweet. But, you know, um, the, 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 the projections, very easy to go and create somebody angry when they're not. So notice in yourself, the first step to know about letting go is to understand grasping, identifying, clinging, sticking to things. And this understanding leads you to peacefulness. Why? Because you understand for example, that a cat cannot swim, can you? I mean, it can swim, sorry, I shouldn't say. Well, let's say a fish cannot fly, although they have wings, don't they? <laughs> anyway, you understand what I mean, don't you? Until you, understand, until you see clearly that what your, what your mind can do and can't do, right? A mind caught up in delusion can only cling. That's all it does. That's the only way it can, you know, survive. And a mind that is not caught up in delusion, that is, is not clinging. So once you see the limitations of your own sense of self and your own mind, you are at peace with that and you can see clearly, this is not me. Because I know better than that. How can this me that doesn't know better be me when I know better than that? Do you understand? How can I sing, you know, say those stupid words when I know better than that? Who is saying this? Ask yourself. Who is thinking those things? Who is perceiving those things? Who is that sense of me that I'm grasping to that's perceiving those things? You see? And so the more you understand that the mind is not you, everything, your body is not you, then you start taking care of them kindly. You start respecting the, you know, something that is limited but useful. You've been born as a human being, of course, and you have to be a human being for a lifetime, from birth to death. And then, once this, what is extraordinary is that this sense of non-identification, which leads to letting go, is over a, a period of time you begin to see that uh, you relate to yourself in a much wiser way. You don't demand, uh, you know, a part of your mind to do what it can't do. You know, if you are caught up in greed, the wisdom is not going to be very. Great, you know. If you absorb into greed, you don't see anything else. You're just stuck in greed. So, when you begin to look at greed, for example, greed and anger, or any any other of these states, you look at them. Sometimes we don't have the tools. We don't know how to do this, you know. So, we say, how do I look, for example, at greed or impatience? You know. Well, it's wonderfully easy. But it takes what? Can you tell me what it takes? Right, good student. It takes a lot of patience. Why? Because, for example, for, for one thing, the world is a busy world, I'm sure, for all of you. There's a lot to do and a lot to, you know, a lot of responsibility. But just taking a period of time when you look at the mind without being distracted by other things, you know, you can let go for a few minutes, you know.
and start looking, you know, how do I feel right now? You may not even have a label. You can't put a label on it, you know. There's no, no words that can come up. It's kind of, it's a, it's a sort of, uh, you know, a, a fuzzy feeling in the heart. You know, how do you detect impatience, you know? Sometimes you are in a, in a, in a throng of, of impatience. You don't even know, you know, it's just so natural. You kind of, you know, um, make two or three people fall over, you know, so running to do something that you feel you want to do immediately and so on. You bang into things, you throw things down and so on. You don't realize, but you, if somebody say, can you be a bit more patient? What do you mean? I'm just being myself. You know, they, they won't see, you know, we, at that moment, you don't see, oh, there is impatience. You can't wait. You know, that impatience makes you forget other people, makes you forget the situation, makes you forget the right thing to say or do, or etc. It blinds you, makes you confused. When you're patient, you're more mindful. It asks you to slow down, to look. I'm not the only one in the room. There's several other people. To see, is that the right time? Is that the right person right now? Is that the right person to talk to? You know. And if somebody is bringing up, bringing up a lot of emotions, is it the right time truly? You know, or is it better to do that, to talk to that person when I'm more calm? more peaceful in myself, more cooled out, less identified with what, I was, with what I am going to say, you know. So this is a process of letting go. You don't, uh, you know, the process of letting go is a process that requires the knowledge that cause will bring result. A, a, a wise, kind, and clear cause will bring that same thing. You know, when you are talking to somebody with respect, that person can respect your words. When you are talking with, patient, with somebody with patience and kindness, that person can also have a mirror that enables her or him to be reflected and start maybe being more respectful and kind to you. We create our world all the time. If you just dump people with nasty words and nasty emotions, that's what you get in return. If you feel completely self-absorbed, you know, me first, with fear, with anxiety, with worry, people won't want to be near you too much. <laughs> they don't want to catch your bug, the bug of worry and anxiety and fearfulness and so on. Of course, if they are practicing Buddhists, they will understand that fear and worry as part of the mental world of a human beings. And then maybe they are be kind and compassionate and maybe help you to deal with fear and worry. But if you, people start saying, well, I, I worry about this and this and that because of him, because of her, because of that situation, you know, it's like, oh, can we just stop for a second, you know? Yes, I hear you worry about things, but don't try to get rid of your worry by blaming the whole world. That's what we do. Another way of getting rid of things is you blame other people. So it's not my problem anymore, it's somebody else's problem. That's very common, isn't it? A way of getting rid of things. Blame mom, blame dad, blame the son, daughters, granny, dogs, cats, boss, co-workers, school teacher and so on, you know, so it's very easy to get rid of things by just blaming the world. So, but the blame doesn't stop there, does it? So how am I going to let go of blaming? Well, I didn't talk much about the Four Noble Truths, but you will let go of blaming by seeing the result of blaming. I mean, have you had any good result from blaming others? We'll go into the question-answer session for all the personal stories, but I'm sure there's lots of it. We could write probably many books on how many people we all blamed in our life, including ourselves, of course, you know. So, just as an example, how are we going to get, are we going to, <laughs> to let go of worry? And what is the difference between letting go of worry or blaming and letting and getting rid of blaming and, and worry, you know? So we go on to the blame part. It's quite a habits, isn't it? Blaming other people. Hmm? 
or worrying about life. Anyway, for both, it's the same thing. But this um, teaching doesn't have any sense unless you are really practicing meditation, Buddhist meditation, specific Buddhist meditation, which requires that you sit quietly or walk, etc., different posture, and that you look inwardly, and that you use the map that the Buddha has given us to know the mind. Okay? So, when you don't know the mind, you don't know where to begin. It's just a big mass of something. You don't quite know where to look, what to find. And when you draw your attention, when you direct your attention towards an object, it's interesting that suddenly they appear, you know, suddenly. Maybe uh, you hadn't seen that you were uh, maybe uh, unhappy. And then somebody said, well, look at yourself and find out. Are you feeling really happy inside yourself? And then you say, you find it, mm, not much really. Can't see. No, I feel pretty rotten, in fact. So, how are you going to let go of that, you know? By recogni recognition, through recognition, through awareness of this particular feeling, the awareness itself is the beginning of letting go. Do you understand? It's not I being aware, awareness, simply being aware. And in meditation, you also learn not, not only to focus your attention on certain things, but also to get to know the quality of being aware. It's not always obvious, because the quality of being aware, I think it's not so easy to find peace in that. Because awareness is so nothing much. Like if I said to you, don't move, I say to you, be aware of your arms. And I ask any of you, who doesn't know where their arms are right now without looking at them? How many people don't know where their arms are without looking at them? So you're all aware. Do you understand? It's not, not more than that. But to look at the mind and the thought the same way, that's a difficult part. That's a learning. We, we, you know, we, we're very good at learning how to look at things we like, like a, anything, like a pleasant experience, you know, beautiful color, a beautiful piece of food, a beautiful person, a, you know, an attractive something something that attracts the attention and can glue your, your eyes onto something, you know. This is not so difficult to do. But to start looking at something which is not particularly interesting, not fascinating, and not necessarily, you know, something you like, that is the work of the practice in Buddhism. You know, you look at the mind, and you begin to see, oh wow, I feel pretty rotten. Now, if you are still, excuse me, in the, th in the, in the, in the, kind of caught up in delusion, you start reacting to it, want to forget about it, get rid of it. If you learn how to be mindful of it and patiently notice the effect it has on you, lo and behold, you find that there is a quality of wisdom that emerges from that seeing, from that noticing, from that listening inwardly. That's called, you know, Chen Sumedho will call it intuitive awareness. It's something, it's almost like something that gathers all the information beyond the old, the past, the thing we know already. Just take the information from now and help you along the way. Maybe at some point he will say, well, I think I need to stop smoking. Maybe that will be better. I won't be so obsessed about it. But that is not, it's a kind of gross level. Because the desire to smoke or drink or whatever, it's more like a sense also of dissatisfaction in oneself, isn't it? So how am I going to deal with dissatisfaction in myself? Well, the process of understanding, looking at it, feeling it, noticing it, noticing the cause and the effect, 
And because we are intelligent creatures and want to be happy, because survival of somebody is very dependent on the sense of well-being and happiness somehow, if you're just miserable and crushed all the time, you won't last very long. But we are clever enough, for some reason, you know, to know that um, the suffering we experience is unhealthy. But not through wanting by getting rid of it, through un no knowledge, through understanding, through seeing, through not identification, non-identification, through seeing clearly that this suffering is not me, not mine, not you, doesn't belong to me. And you have to train your mind very strongly like that, you know, when it's when it is very stubborn. It's just words, simple words that give you a different direction. You know, it's me and mine. I'm terrible. I'm so, you know, I'm so bad. I'm so this. That. We are so good at telling each other, telling ourselves negative things, aren't we? I'm not intelligent. I'm not brave. I'm not courageous. I'm not good looking. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm getting old. I'm miserable. I'm just awful, dreadful, pathetic. I have to be careful the words I use because sometimes I realize they might be not quite right. Slob, a pathetic slob. Is that rude? No, it's not slurred, is it? No. A pathetic kind of hip or something. So we're so good at that, you know, we just ruminate this There's day and day after day, 360 days, how many days there is per year, you know. And without any qualms, nothing, it's like normal. A normal day, like 99% negative rumination. And as a women teacher in Thailand used to say, you know, you, you just like ask somebody to do like, you know, two minutes of focusing mindfully on their normal breathing. And they panic. I can't do that. can't do that. No, no. Just not thinking about myself for two minutes? I can't, can't. Just being peacefully with my breath for two minutes? No, I can't. I mean, of course, you don't say that, you know, but after two minutes, you start thinking about the shopping and the holiday next year and uh, all the things that happened in the past and the future and so on. You know, it's like forgetting. Do you see how, how delusion is stupid? How avidya is a vicious circle, you know? It keeps going. And then we're sick. We get ill, miserable and depressed. And you say... I don't understand, I'm depressed. Double check, what do you think all day long? Do you think about something nice, friendly, kind of rosy? Even though I don't like rosy, rosy things, but just something that uplifts you and make life a little bit sort of bearable? Oh no, no, miserable, awful, weather is bad. Look, the sun is not good enough, not enough sun. Sunny today, but it will rain. I'm sure it'll rain tonight. Well, that's the humor of England, isn't it? The weather, that's part of the humorous kind of world, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> realize how much addiction we have towards this deluded mind, poor mind. We don't even have much compassion for these deluded com conditions. You know, it's like having an illness, but we keep beating ourselves up to feel better. Instead of looking at it, sensing it, connecting with it, understanding what may cause it, what make it worse or make it better, finding the right medication. And let's say Buddhism is really all organic. It doesn't cost a thing. You've got your meditation hall with you all the time. You got your teacher and your students all there in one place, cost nothing, and it's a sure cure. It's not even like you know, a terminal illness delusion. No, Buddha gives us hope. It's actually curable, can end. So isn't it wonderful? So I leave you on this, and just um, hopefully that will. Uh, you know, so inspire you to come and learn about meditation and how to make your mind a place where you feel happy to habit, inhabit. Your heart, mind, body, a good, lovely world to inhabit, even with all its imperfections.
it's okay. Isn't it good? Huh? I leave you on this. Um, it's time to have a cup of tea, and please, in about 15 minutes, 20 past, we can um, come back. And when you speak, uh, please, I notice, don't go into high chatter, you know. Just keep on a bit mindful, even if you talk to each other, it's okay, but don't, you know, raise your voice too high so it becomes a cacophony in here. Yeah? Okay. And you can come and talk to me if you want to. <laughs>